You've reached the Geek Elite. Good luck. We've made difficult decisions. And there are still more ahead of us. Two people aren't enough to save the galaxy. We need the toughest. Smartest. Deadliest allies. We need you. We need you to join us. And listen to Reignite. A certain point of view podcast about storytelling. Love. And Mass Effect. Join us every other Thursday as we fight for the fate of an entire galaxy. You can find us everywhere you get your podcasts. Or at certainpov.com slash reignite. We're counting on you. We should go. Hey, Mitch! Hey, Mitch! Hey, Mitch! Hey, Mitch. 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 On tonight's episode of Hey Mitch, I have a very special guest, the creator of Joystick Angels, TJ Sterling. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Happy <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. Like, uh, this comic book had, you know, had a very successful Kickstarter campaign, and I just I want to say that it's it looks amazing, but then also the idea of a soundtrack to go along with it, that's pretty incredible. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, um, you know, uh, I've always loved different stuff. Like I was that guy in the comic book shop that just liked different comics. You know, I mean, I was buying manga before manga was popular. I mean, I really, really loved unique storytelling. And for me, as a publisher now, I mean, I try to think about what's my ethos. What do I live and die by? And that's really just unique content. Every book we do should be unique, should be fun, should be different, and it shouldn't be like anything that you're seeing on the market currently. Now, you described it as a uh, space opera, or at least a yeah. few things before that. Now, d- please, describe Joystick Angels. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. So, again, um, if everybody's listening, my name is TJ Starling. I'm the president lead artist of Ray Comics, and Joystick Angels is our second title from Ray Comics, and it is a YA space opera comic series centered on five young kids of color who have a latent superhuman ability. I'm sorry. Let me rewind the tape on that. (laughs) I'm thinking of the other book. It's five young space pilots who are tasked with saving the universe. Um, You guys can tell I'm a little tired since it's late. And I talk about all these other IPs that I have. So forgive me, but Joystick Angels, YA superhero title um, about five young kids who need to save the universe from an evil alien empire. Now, I, I mean, also the the spaceships that they pilot all look pretty awesome and unique. Like, are they just as unique as each individual uh, character that fly, pilots them? Absolutely. That's a great question. I don't think anyone's ever asked me that, so thank you. Um, each ship is kind of tailored to 
you know, the specific characters, you know, you know, who are on the team. So the kind of the setting of Joystick Angels is post-apocalyptic, super far distant future where Earth has basically been wiped out. And the last human colony, all humans are now living on a space space station called the Lepore Space Station. And um, essentially, it's become this militaristic society where the highest honor is the... Um, military effort and each space squadron is teamed with five kids or five pilots and uh, they all have to fight to become the uh, the best and whoever is the best gets to lead the charge against the Akaria and each ship is kind of tailored to their specific skill set for example uh, the leader Fox is a uh, very brash and kind of a um, strong-willed character, so his ship is extremely aggressive. It has a lot of guns, lots of really cool, um, you know, force fields and shields and, and things that you would expect from a fighter pilot that's kind of on the defense, uh, on the offense all the time. Um, fast forward or, or go to another character like Legs, for example. She's like the resident tech officer on the, on the team, and her ship is riddled with different types of cool tech items like drones and you know, uh, different types of robotic armatures and things like that. So each ship kind of is, you know, specific to what these characters can do and what they're going to be doing in the story. No, they, I mean, each each one of the ships in the preview art that you have up, like, obviously has is tailored to each character. So I wanted to hear all about that, how how each one is, is definitely uh, suited for the, the character that's piloting it. So that sounds awesome. Um what is it that that drove you to this particular story? Oh, um, honestly, I have this humongous love for the 80s and 90s, really everything in the 80s and 90s, but specifically the video games. Um, joystick, you know, shoot 'em up type of games. Um, the Star Foxes, the Gradius, the Darius Twins, like I absolutely love those types of games. And um, that particular brand where it's like you have this ship and it's in space fighting these weird crazy you know creatures from a, another dimension or another world and um i always thought it was such a cool concept and then on top of that i'm a huge star trek and star wars fan like growing up that was my dad's two favorite movies or two favorite ips or properties and we would always go to the theaters or watch them when they came out or rewatch them a hundred times so i just i loved those things because I guess it's just what I grew up watching. And my thing was, is that I never really saw a lot of um, diverse representation in those, those types of movies. Um, you know, you'd never see someone, you know, you can see maybe one black person, one Asian person, one Hispanic person, maybe no Indian people at all. So, you know, again, I, I came up in a relatively multicultural town in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And, and all of my friends were from different places. You know, my friends from the Philippines and India and, and um, Ghana and different parts of, you know, Africa. So for me, diversity was so normal in my regular circle, but it just wasn't normal in the world at the time. Uh, so for me, it was like, I would love, I kind of had like this, I don't know, it sat with me and I'm like, man, I would love to tell a story that features you know more diverse cast in the future in space doing really cool stuff i mean it's it's definitely hitting that mark so i'm i'm stoked about the whole thing uh which one of these five characters 
uh, is your darling, which is the one that, you know, you love to write the most? That's a great question, man. I mean, I think each one of them are, you know, based on people that I know. I mean, I would say Legs is probably continuing, is starting to become my favorite character out of all of them. Uh, when you look at Legs, I mean, her, her, Legs is her code name and her full name is Aisha Garcia. And she is the um, Afro-Latina queer character who is the resident tech officer who builds all the ray guns and fixes the ships. And she's the tech person that can figure out anything mechanically. And she's kind of an underdog character. And she's also the youngest in the group. So she's got a little bit to prove versus like the leader, Fox, who's the oldest. Um, so the dynamic is very interesting. And, and, and I'd say she's kind of the character that's really becoming my, slowly becoming my favorite. Nice. I love that. Do you, did you have inspirations for the, each one of these uh, character designs? Yeah, I mean, well, for me, when you look at Fox, the main character, you know, he's got this Lionel Richie 1985 Jerry Curl thing going on. (laughs) (laughs) This, you know, Michael Jackson thriller Jerry Curl. So you can obviously see there's, you know, the 80s reference in there. Um, You know, you've got uh, Tank, who's kind of, you know, Cassandra Middleton is her real name. You know, she's got like this you know, Stacy Dash clueless thing going on where, you know, her outfits are very loud and super fashionable. And, um, Dragonetti is like very, um, uh, um, what is it? Jacob Marks, uh, AKA Dragonetti. He's like the, uh, super fun guy that likes to party and loves music and dancing and, you know, fashion. So his fashion sense is really kind of off the wall and different. So it's definitely based on, you know, again, the time period, you know, music, um, what looked cool back then. I mean, I've got this really cool variant cover that just got done for one of my artists. It's kind of um, a throwback to, you know, Purple Rain. So, you know, we're kind of sticking in that area of like, repre- well, of really of like references and kind of inspiration as we're creating these characters. Yeah, no, no, it's, it's, it's showing through and that's, and that's super cool. Like we're, we're definitely going to have to, uh, hear that soundtrack and hopefully get the eighties and nineties reference in there too. Absolutely, man. You know, me and my brother, we were, we were literally hanging out, you know, we lived together, we got an apartment together here and, um, in the in New York city area. And, uh, we were just talking about comics and cause you know, my brother is relatively known to a lot of the people in the comic book world because he's come to conventions with me for years. He's always been kind of like my road manager. He makes sure that I'm eating and drinking and getting <laughs> my commitment done and all that good stuff. So um, he's like, yeah, man, um, what do you think? It, what, what are you thinking about? What do you, what's on your, on your mind in terms of comics? And I'm like, well, this is a story. I had this idea about, you know, what if we did like a, a, a shoot 'em up style space opera you know, thing that, and, and he's like, yeah, that'd be a great idea. So I'm like, well, why don't we should do something? We should do something really different. We can write it together, but why don't you make some music for it? And then I see his eyes kind of perk up a little bit because, you know, by trade, you know, my brother Spencer is a musician, you know, he plays, you know, tuba and, you know, piano and, and guitar. And he plays so many different instruments as well as, you know, uh, digital stuff with, um, you know, he produces a lot of music and arranges and you know, um, engineers stuff. So he's already working in the space of, you know, hip hop, R&B, techno, EDM. And, you know, because he grew up in the 80s, just like I did, he loved the 80s and 90s music of that era. So it was just kind of an appropriate thing. Like, 
doing an OST, how many comic books can you go to a con and walk up and there's a, a composed OST from a professional musician? It's almost unheard of. So, unheard of, yeah. Yeah, I mean, just so the light bulb went off and it just all kind of fell into place. That's incredible. So then if this is an inspiration that came from, you know, going to conventions and just having the conversation with each other, what was the uh, the duration of the process, like from that moment to uh, first pages being printed? That's a great question, man. I would say that if I'm rewinding the tape, we've been in production for about a year behind the scenes. Um, and, you know, rewind time a year ago, you know, COVID was kind of rampant right around this time. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it was, we came up with this idea of this book right before COVID. So our artist had started it. He was already halfway through the book and he actually got COVID. Um, while he was working on the book, um, Nats Ledesma, a Filipino gentleman, he lives in the Philippines. He also works in the healthcare industry. So he's not a full-time artist, but he is someone like us who really wants to be in the business full-time. And, and that, you know, when he got sick and, and needed some time to heal, we had to pause for a little bit. So we've been slowly, you know, finishing the rest of everything. And, and we just, just finished with all the artwork um, last week, the week of the campaign. So it was kind of like, I cannot good conscience have a Kickstarter offering or have anything to offer people if I don't have something done. So we were waiting as long as possible to get it right. And with the kick Kickstarter campaign, you, you talk about in your, your video that you have, you, you have the plan for the two and you're going right. to make them. So what was the, the, the goals, the, the money being raised from the Kickstarter going to go towards towards? Absolutely. So, um, first and foremost, the, um, stretch goal that we had once we broke past our initial goal was uh, I think it was 10k and that was basically going to allow us to pay our artists a higher page rate so um our penciler our our our, um, our colorist our letterer our editor are all going to get paid a higher page rate than what they normally get paid so it's our way of kind of saying thank you to them for investing so much time and effort into making this project amazing because Everybody looks at it, says, oh, I love the art. I love the colors. Um, I love that you have an editor on board. Um, you know, the, our, our letterer, Duran Bennett, is a seasoned guy who is, you know, currently up for an Eisner nomination. So he's got tons of experience and has done lots of work for us. And, and, and we just wanted to say thank you to them. So that was our first stretch goal of 10K. And then everything on before, like onward, was raising funds for issue two so we could pay them um, you know, pay for those, the, uh, excuse me, for the next book. Um, we could get everybody some enamel pens, get some t-shirts. Uh, we've got a master class in there. So that's also incorporated. So just trying to keep the, 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 the wheels turning, man, because it feels like people really want to see more than one book and we want to get it to them quickly. Definitely. I mean, I, I think the last time I saw it, it was at what, 260% uh, <laughs> raised. Uh, so you're, you're, yeah. you have, you have a fan base out there and they're ready to, to read more. So that is incredible. Uh, Super as you said, this is the second book of Ray comics. Uh, and I, I, I don't, I don't want to sound rude. I don't know how to pronounce the first book. It's totally fine, man. That you know, the whole intention was with uh, my first series, Okamus, was to Okamus. raise a lot of eyebrows, make okay. people think, like, you know, what is this? And and really, 
Alchemist is a place and not a person. So, I mean, a typical superhero book, you'd get it to be Superman, Batman, you know, Wonder Man, whatever. But with this, we're actually getting the place in which all the characters originate from. So if you think about Mount Olympus or something like that, it's got the same type of vibe going on. Um, but Alchemist is a sci-fi martial art action story centered around a young kid that has a latent superhuman ability that could potentially save the human race. Um, got lots of 80s and 90s Sentai vibes in there. It's got Dragon Ball Z vibes in there. Um, you know, I, I practiced martial arts for over 10 years. Um, he got a black belt in Okinawan show and karate. So, um, you know, martial arts is a huge part of, you know, who I am as a person and, you know, my life. So a little bit of that inspiration is in there. So, and there's five books in that series. So if people are listening to this and they want to check out other books that we have, we've got another series that's almost halfway done. So perfect time to get, get into what we have at Ray Comics. Oh yeah, Ray Comics sound, sound, sounding like right up my alley. I'm loving this. So, being a seasoned martial arts martial artist as you are, like, how did that affect in writing? Like, I assume moves and and uh, actions into your character. Yeah, I, you know, I've gotten a lot of compliments over the years about how the pacing and the action is in the story of Okamas. Um and it's a really it's a big it's the biggest compliment I could probably get from anybody because you know it means okay like I still remember how to do my forms I still remember <laughs> how to do things correctly because <laughs> you know whether it's like let's say if somebody's coming at you with a punch and you hit them with like you know some type of a side block or if someone's coming at you with a roundhouse there's a specific way to dodge that correctly or to minimize the amount of damage or impact that you might get from a specific kick so if the character takes a, you know, a knee to the face and then walks or, you know, just gets up and walks away, not really all that realistic. You get a knee to a face, something's going to break. You might get a concussion. You might black out. Like these are types of things you have to understand when choreographing action in a um, sequential form. So a lot of those kind of more realistic type of fighting things, you know, kind of occur. And I think, what people like about like, for example, invincible, the animation, the, the cartoon that just came out is how realistic it would be. Okay. If you get Superman flying at you 200 miles an hour and punches you, your head's probably going to sh- shatter into a million pieces. You're not going to get punched into the next panel. You're going to die. So <laughs> these are types of <laughs> realistic things that you have to think about, or at least I like to think about when I'm choreographing action. No, yeah, I mean, the more realistic, I think, makes it so that the your your reader is not being uh, patronized, right? So that's that's pretty great. Starting up Ray Comics, like, what was the process behind that? Like, what was the "I'm just going to do it myself" kind of mentality? I've always been interested in comics. You know, I came up with the idea for Alchemist, that series, and you know, this you know POC Sentai, if you will. Um, back when I was in high school, you know, like 97, 98. And I had an, I just, I knew that I wanted to do something with it. I just didn't know how, because I really wasn't that great of an artist at the time. And I knew that I loved art and I knew I wanted to have a career in it. I just didn't know how I was going to get to my destination, but I stayed on course. So I finished, you know, high school with a concentration in art. I eventually went on to college and then, got a degree in a bachelor of fine arts and illustration. So I learned 
traditional illustration, painting, drawing, you know, a little bit of animation. And then I would eventually go to uh, Marvel and intern for them in New York City. And that's where I learned quite a bit of my, um, you know, comic book business experience and understanding how things work and how you interface with freelancers. A lot of that came from the good folks at Marvel. I'm extremely grateful and appreciative for them to uh, giving me a chance because there was there was a line around the corner for people that wanted to be an intern, but they saw something in me and wanted to bring me on. Um, spent about a year interning with them, and once I got done, I um, I don't know. I started to kind of rethink this whole idea of do I want to play in someone else's sandbox or do I want to create my own sandbox? You know, I already have these characters and I, these ideas for IP, so why not do something with them? Why not try something unique out that that hasn't been done? And I think that's kind of what um, fueled me the most because, you know, you either wanted to be at that time, like we're talking about 2010, you know, it was like, okay, I can be, I can go for a penciler job or an inker job or a colorist job, or I can go for a writing gig. And those are the main two things. There really wasn't a lot of people like, hey, I'm going to start my own indie publishing label. It was so few, like, like so rare at the time. Like there really wasn't a lot of it, um, especially like one guy doing everything or maybe one or two guys or a small team. And now like there's indie people out the wazoo. Like, I don't know, like COVID, like it sprouted up indie you know, <laughs> companies like weeds. They're all over the place. Like, But yeah, my, the answer to your question, I just wanted to create my own sandbox and, and, you know, play in it and do anything and everything that I ever wanted to do. What was the biggest obstacle that you found in starting up your own comic line, comic uh, company? Well, because I was drawing my first comic book, my biggest thing was, you know, maintaining a decent deadline. I mean, I had never drawn on a deadline before. I'm all, that's not true. I drew on a deadline in college. So I had like one art project to do. But, you know, I don't think people realize like how incredibly, you know, detailed drawing comic book pages are it's a lot of work i mean a painting could be one image but if you've got a comic page you've got several images that all have to be really really detailed and they have to flow right and they have to make sense and you can't reuse the same poses like there's so many rules within the the, the scope of making comics so um my biggest thing was you know I'm, i've hired myself as an artist maintaining the deadline and then also kind of balancing out uh you know the right printer to use um the, the right you know having enough money to go to a con like the first con i ever did was san diego comic con and i was living in new york at the time so traveling across country wow. to do a show and, you know it was a hell of a lot of money like i didn't realize that when you fly to a con that's as big as san diego there's something called event pricing in hotels that means it's double the price of what it is normally so what you would probably pay for three nights at a at a hotel, maybe three four hundred dollars, now shoots up to eight hundred, nine hundred to a thousand dollars. So, you know, I'm a guy that you know this is a little bit after uh, the housing market crash and you know the economy's you know on the on the rebound, but still, you know, that's a hell of a lot of money to spend on you know a weekend. So, no kidding, yeah. There's tons of challenges that popped up and. Now it seems like things are getting a little easier, but um, yeah, definitely. 
I mean, I assume that you're also making it to other smaller cons, at least when we were still having conventions. Like, how are you finding uh, that for uh, spreading the word of, of Rub Ray Comics? Yeah, I would say that small cons are my favorite nowadays. Because you think about it like this. You know, there's so much, you go to a big con and there's so much stimulus. Like, oh, hey, give me your money, give me your money. It's this, that is everywhere. From the time the fan walk, from the, from the, fan, the time the fan is outside for, to the time they walk in, there's all this, you know, um, attention grabbers because people want their money, you know, whether it's the local food store or whether it's the parking, you know, going to Comic Con has become very, very expensive. And, you know, just, Food for thought, ladies and gentlemen. 2005, you could buy a ticket to San Diego Comic Con for $50. Now, 15 years later, it's $300 for a weekend pass or more. So that's not even including the flight to get out there if you don't live there, the hotel accommodations, um, parking, food. Like it's, it's a very, very pricey endeavor. And then, you know, to walk into a con and then want to, how much money do I have? Oh, I don't really have a lot of money. I literally have to go to that booth, that booth, and that booth. And that's all. So a lot of times with bigger shows, people's pockets are kind of drained and empty in the pots or the, the pond has been fished out before they even get into the door or half an hour after they get into the door. And I feel like with smaller cons, you get to meet people one-on-one. There's a little bit less pressure. It's not as pricey for them to get in most of the time it's free on a lot of these shows so you can really spend time with quality people and make decent money as a creator yeah no the smaller cons are definitely uh, a lot easier to get up as as a person who who attends uh to talk to the creators and and uh artists and, and all that so that's that's great I think my first year, I think was for San Diego Comic Con, it was 2007. We actually walked up to the door and got our ticket. And that was, yeah. I think that was the last year that you were able to do that. Like you could not do that anywhere. You have to do the lottery now. With Ray Comics, like in your, your, your schooling of, of illustration, uh, animation, are, are you, is there ever going to be some uh, animated versions of these characters that you've, you've drawn in these two books? I mean, that's the plan, man. Absolutely. I mean, I think when people look at Joystick Angels, it screams anime. It screams like, hey, I would love to see this on Netflix. And people are getting Voltron vibes. And I'm, I'm hearing all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm really excited about that because ultimately we want to be able to um, have like a collective vision within our fan group. Like, hey, everyone's thinking about this animation thing. Everybody wants it. So, you know, when I made, but when I, maybe if I'm asking, you know, $4,000 to create an animated pitch, people are like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. You know, like, and, and you know, I'm totally for it. And that, and, and that's really where the community comes into play. I'm super grateful for everybody. And, and I do try to tell everybody though, like I understand we're in the Netflix generation. People want it right now, but <laughs> before Spider-Man or X-Men became an animated series, they had 30 years of content. Like, they got five years of content. Let me make some more books. <laughs> let me fill the shelves. You know, like, let me do a little bit of that, and then I promise you we will get you the animation in the movie. Just give me some time. When you're creating, when you sit down to create, what's what's your process? Do you do you have to make sure there's no noise, or do you need candles burning? Do you need Do you need white noise playing in the background? 
Yeah. I mean, for me, I'm a big music guy. I love music. I think um, if I'm super hyped up that I may throw on, you know, um, some, some heavy, heavy metal, or maybe I'll throw on some hip hop. Uh, if I'm a little bit more on the mellow side, I may throw on some music from the seventies, um, some old school R and B. I mean, you know, jazz, I mean, anything that I'm kind of, is a suiting my fancy at the moment helps me get into that creative zone. I mean, right before this interview, I was drawing ladies and gentlemen. So you know, the, the grind never stops, but yeah, I mean, for me, just had, you know, my, my noise canceling headphones, some good music and, you know, sitting in front of my drawing tablet and we're good to go. Now. So then when you were, you were doing joystick angels, which came first, the soundtrack that your brother made or, or the, the, the work that you did. So on this one, you know, we we wrote the book, we wrote the story first. We okay. did that, and then we um, got a we got a totally different artist this time. So because I'm drawing Okamis as an ongoing series, I don't have the bandwidth to take on another drawing responsibility for another book. Just I wouldn't be able to do it. I'd have to clone myself, <laughs> um, and I don't know how to do that yet, ladies and gentlemen. But if I figure it out, I'll be telling you first. <laughs> um. But yeah, so we hired an outside artist, and essentially what I acted as is more of a, um, you know, a lead and a creative lead and a creative director. This is what I want to see per page. You know, they're sending me, you know, stills and sketches, and I'm approving stuff based on how I think the storytelling will be correct. And um, and that allows me to continue to keep drawing Okamas and then, you know, continuing to write other stuff, too. So then what was the, the soundtrack? If... Do you, I mean, do you not, do you not do music while you're writing also? You know, typically, yeah, I'd I'd have to listen to some white noise while I'm writing. Okay. I think because if I, or I'd have to listen to an instrumental, something like an OST from a movie or, I mean, I love the Oblivion soundtrack. I love, um, again, old video game soundtracks, uh, you know, uh, Iron Man, Captain America. Like I love those types of things. And I will listen to that while I'm writing because the sound for me just gets me into the zone of writing. But if it's lyrics, then I start thinking about it. That bleeds into the words that I'm typing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, music is a big part of what I do. And clearly it's a big part of what my brother does too. And that's why him being a comic lover, it's like, Oh, this is perfect. I get to create music for a comic. Finally. What is the thing that you geek out about that maybe most people wouldn't wouldn't suspect? I mean, if if it happens to be like uh, you really enjoy mowing the lawn, like what's you know what's that what's that geeky thing about you? Um, two two things. I mean, you know, to, since we're talking about music, I'm a huge follower of composers. Nice. Like, I mean, I follow guys like James Horner and um, Brian Tyler. And Hans Zimmer, and you know, um, was it uh, Ramin Dejwadi? I don't know if I'm saying his last name correct, but he's the guy who did the Iron Man soundtrack and Game of Thrones. So I follow their careers in terms of what projects they jump to, and I'm very much a fan of how like different each project there there is because like the music that Brian Tyler did for The Expendables is incredibly different than what he did for the Marvel movies. Um, so I'm super geeked out about the music part. I love directors too. Like I follow directors like you wouldn't believe um, because to me, they're like what we're doing as comic book artists. We're directors, you know, it's the same type of thing. 
And I'm also a big sneakerhead, so I collect sneakers too. So nice. there's that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So first, I need to know uh, top three uh, movie scores for you. Great question. Um, I guess in terms of what I listen to most, um, definitely Batman Begins with uh, um, Hans Zimmer, the first one. Um, let's see here. Uh, I think it's M82 and Trent Reznor for Oblivion. Nice. Um, again, Iron Man 1 soundtrack with Ramin Deshwadi, definitely my favorite. Um, and then there's one more that I can't remember the name of. I think it's, I'd probably say out of all the Marvel soundtracks, it's between Iron Man and Captain America Winter Soldier. Like when Winter Soldier first appeared, that soundtrack I love. I think that might be James Horner or I can't remember the name of the guy who did it, but that's, those are the top four. Those are the top ones right there. All right. What's, yeah. what's the, the prize possession uh, sneaker in the, in the collection then? Um, I mean, so, I have absolutely no background in this, so you could be making it up, but I wouldn't know. <laughs> so I guess I could say the most expensive pair of sneakers I've ever owned. Well, I got them retail. So I won a Nike lottery and I got a pair of these off-white Jordan Chicago ones, size 12, which is a very, very common size. I, I bought them for $160 and I sold them for 2500 the nice. next day. Nice. So that's probably the most prized possession I've ever had. Cause I'm like, wait a minute, this is like the lottery. So like I'm selling this shit immediately. I paid off a credit card with that money. Like, <laughs> like, I mean, that makes complete sense to me. I mean, you use it to your advantage. So there you go. Absolutely. Uh, when you're uh, creating, like, what's the? Do you have a like maybe a, a person in mind uh, for these characters to play, quote unquote? If you were if it were ever made into a live action thing, a uh, movie casting that that's a you know. I mean, I don't I know if you want to put it out there. Yeah, you know, I haven't really done that yet. I mean, you know, so I well, I thought about it for Opus, for example, so. You guys can kind of see, well, I mean, you won't see it because this is audio, but, you know, in my background on the video during the Zoom call, you got to see the cast of characters of Okamas. Um The main, well, Masar, the guy in purple, who's kind of like the, you know, enforcer on the comic, in the comic book series Okamas. He's one of the villain characters. He's based on my very good friend, my childhood friend, Jim Yu who is a 6'3", you know, big, huge Asian guy from China who he looks like a, like a monster. He's huge. He's the biggest person, I, one of the biggest people I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. But that's who the character is based on. So I'm, I'm constantly thinking, like, I'm constantly talking to Jim, like, do you know a, a, another Asian man of your size and stature that could play this character? And he's like, I don't know anybody. So it may have to be him. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just pick people that I knew and I went to high school with. So, I mean, that's the possibility as well. I mean, I think they'll they'll probably enjoy being able to do that kind of thing too. So, that's right. I'd love some unknowns. I mean, you know, the thing for me is, is that I get it. Like, okay, Marvel wants to do, and DC wants to do. Hey, we're, we're going to get big budget actors to jump on our movies, and it gives them this, you know, heavy weight. Like, oh, we've got an Oscar winner that's playing, you know, so and so's character. But for me, I almost feel like 
working with slightly more unknown actors that have a lot more to prove and want to bring something to these characters or more comic book fan related like actors. So for me, like, you know, Superman was a perfect choice. Henry Cavill for Superman was a perfect choice because he was a known actor before he was Superman, but he wasn't a super humongous, well-known actor at the time. So he's kind of like a, a low-key guy, you know, but he was a huge comic book fan. He loved Superman comics. So he brought like a certain fandom to the character. And he also looks so much like what Superman could be that oh, yeah. he, um, uh, I just think that he became even more popular because of Superman. And now he does everything. But like before, he was kind of a relatively unknown guy. So I kind of like that type of formula versus let me just bring get a big Hollywood actor on the, on the on the project. No, I think that that is that sounds perfect. That's that's exactly what we want to see because otherwise you get the big names and it kind of distracts away from the story, right? It kind of distracts from the movie. Uh, can I ask uh, about the, your time at Marvel? Like what what kind of experience that was? Sure. Yeah. So. I started working in the basement of uh, Marvel Comics. And at the time, they had an office on uh, Madison Avenue, um, right in, you know, around the area of the Empire State Building um, in Manhattan. And uh, it was an old Japanese bank that they had their, their offices in. So it's, it, it, it just, but it also used to be a bakery before that. So like it, the walls were stained. Like it was just a very, very decrepit, old, crappy building. Um, but there's this wealth of comic book knowledge in there. And I started out uh, sending freelancer comps to artists across the world. So you work on a book, you get a copy of it, or you get several copies. So I was always interfacing with guys like Mark Millar, or, you know, John Romita Jr., or whoever was in the building or needed books. I was always talking to them. And my boss, uh, Fenton Ang, um, you know, was a really cool guy and a lot of fun. And, you know, he said, Hey, you know, they're hiring upstairs for a design related position because, you know, they forgot that, Hey, you know, TJ is going to college for art and design. Maybe we should talk to him. So <laughs> <laughs> they bring me upstairs. I interview him. I show my portfolio and they're like, Hey, this guy's got some, some skills. Let's bring him on. So then I became a production assistant. And essentially, I was receiving all the comic book pages from various different artists, and I was, you know, cleaning them up and, you know, sizing them for print and making sure they were getting into the correct InDesign files. And, you know, it was a lot of, you know, production management type of thing. And it was really cool because, I mean, I was in the bullpen and I got to meet a whole bunch of artists, and it was just a such a fun gig, man. And and really, I got to understand more of the mechanics of how to create a comic book like how because i mean most people don't even know like i mean i had to i was explaining to a buddy of mine about how to create a pdf and how important it is to have a pdf for your digital comics but if, if no one teaches you then how are you gonna know yeah 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 i know i mean obviously you use the the knowledge you gain there to to put put forth something that's awesome top what 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 are you watching right now? What what's the, what are the things that you are enjoying? Yeah, I um I'm currently watching Loki, which I really like. Um, I I I think they're doing. You know, for me, Loki was one of those characters. He was pretty much in everything. Like he was in almost every Marvel movie that was important, and you know, like he was starting to get a little stale to me. And I think that 
with this series, they're kind of keeping him fresh. Like this is a different Loki. This isn't the Loki that gets killed by Thanos. So, but this is the the bad Loki that kind of sees the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, hey, you know, you have the opportunity to be good, which is kind of a cool um, carrot to dangle in front of somebody's face. Like, you know, you have an uh, like there's a path in front of you, and, and you can kind of tell what it is. Um, so that was really cool. I'm excited to see what the rest of that series is about. Before that, I was watching Captain America Winter Soldier, Invincible. Um, what else? Uh, I'm also watching, I, I just finished watching Sweet Tooth on Netflix, which was incredible. Um, so that's what I'm, I'm into at the moment. What about what about reading? Are you, are you reading any comic books? At the moment, I am reading uh, Thomas River by uh, Brian Selfridge. That's the book that I have in my hand. Well, that I'm currently trying to finish. <laughs> and uh, an old... Um, Electra Tale by Bill Sienkiewicz and Frank Miller. Those are the two books that are on my desk right now. I know that you obviously love to play in your own sandbox, as you put it earlier, and create your own characters. But I, I assume at one point you were you were all about drawing something, some characters from the big two. What what are your characters? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I would probably say my number one favorite comic book character is Swamp Thing. I've nice. always, 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 always wanted to draw Swamp Thing, wanted to tell a cool Swamp Thing story. Some of my favorite comic books ever written are Swamp Thing stories by like Alan Miller, um, Alan Moore, excuse me. Um, and the last one, which I thought was masterful by, um, uh, it was the, the Rock World series. And I'm, I'm, blanking on the the writer and and the artist on it but it'll come back to me um but definitely swamp thing i'm a huge batman fan too so i, I loved batman growing up as a kid I, I thought batman was way cooler than superman you know he had the car he had the women um <laughs> he had pretty much everything the cool gadgets the tech um the villains the, the villains gallery to me like i don't think like if you think about like some of the best villains gallery like Batman probably got the best villains gallery next to somebody like Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, to me, Superman's rogues gallery really isn't all that exciting. It's like, eh, whatever. Um, but yeah, I'd say probably those two Batman and Swamp Thing for sure. Very cool. Uh, all right. So we've come to the part where I, I like to ask to put, put the, the guest on the spot and ask the question, if you could have a completely useless superpower, what would that power be? And it has to be useless. Um, useless things in life. Let's see here. So one one of the example that I usually get give is that if uh if I, my useless superpower would be to like grow my hair exactly one inch and that's it. That's that's all I can do. And it's you know for it takes a while before I can do it again. Yeah, it's it's pretty useless. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I need more, <laughs> especially me. People can't see the video, but I'm bald, ladies and gentlemen, and I'd love to grow more hair. But you have I'll a glorious beard. <laughs> that, that's that's the redeeming quality. I'm very, very excited about how fantastic this beard looks. And right now, it's not oiled up or anything, ladies and gentlemen, but when it is, you're going to see that iconic glisten in the light. It's, it's epic. There you go. <laughs> epic beard. Um, I'd say, yeah, so maybe a useless, you know, power could be like you know uh i could automatically clip one toenail and not the other nine you know like, <laughs> like damn it i haven't figured out how to do the rest 
<laughs> oh, I love that. Yep. It's just like, well, I got the one. Now I got to go get the Clippers. <laughs> oh, you. What would be the one piece of advice that you would want to give to someone else that wants to follow the path that you're doing? Or what's the one piece of advice that someone gave you that really stuck with you? You know, I'll give you a gem. Yeah, every someone, everyone who's listening, a general piece of advice. Um, entertain every idea that you have. You know, believe in absolutely every thought, idea that comes to your mind. You know, inspired thought is really there for people who want it. Um, you come up with a great idea. You know, it's like you should never let it. You know, let it go. Write it down. Act on it. I mean. You know, people have great ideas all the time, but most folks don't act on them. So if you feel like there's an idea that has legs that sticks with you, act on it, believe in yourself 100% um, and just trust your judgment. And I, I think um, one thing I'm pretty solid at is trusting my own personal judgment when it comes to comics and what I think is cool and, you know, seeing around the corner, um, you know. 2015 rolled around and Okemos was the only Sentai comic book on the shelves at the time the only one there was no power ranger comics there was no vr troopers there was no any any sentai book you can think of no ultraman but now sentai's back and it's back big like but rewind the tape why would you know why i want to do something that that no one was doing but i trusted my instincts and you know this was something that now people look at openness is a series that can rival those other big ips that can stand next to them relatively equally um because they know that I love the genre. But I'd also say, too, if you're an artist, um, an art, being an artist is a marathon that you never, ever stop running. So, you know, you could be really, really bad and really suck, and then you could be incredible, but it just takes time between a point A and point B, and you just can't give up. You, know, you just have to continue working at the craft every single day i draw every day guys every day even if it's a small thing i draw every single day or i write every single day like this is kind of how it works like if you want to win a race you have to be on the field or on the track pretty much all the time there you go always always be grinding right right any uh do you are you already booked for any uh cons coming up like now that covid is kind of on the downswing yeah, I'm going to be at uh, BlurredCon in Crystal City, Virginia um, from July 17th to the 19th, I think. Um, I'm, after that, I'm going to be at AwesomeCon in Washington, D.C. Uh, I think that's also, that's in August. And then shortly after that, I'll be at uh, DragonCon in Atlanta. That's nice. um, like Labor Day weekend. Mm -hmm. And then I may make an appearance at New York Comic Con and possibly Baltimore Comic Con later in the year depending on how everything goes so we'll see very cool what's the the place that people can find you or ray comics best yeah super easy guys so um i'm at ray comics that's r-a-e comics um on twitter on ig and my website is raycomics.com r-a-e comics.com um you can get back issues of okamus from zero all the way up to number four um, issue five also comes out this August. Uh, you also can pre-order Joystick Angels, our successful Kickstarter that just closed a few days ago. 
um, is now available for pre-order on my site. So you can also jump on and grab that too with a host of other things like t-shirts, um, toys, enamel pins, and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff like art prints. So take a look at the website and connect with me or drop me a line. I'd love to chat with you. Yes, please, please go and follow and buy all the things to support Ray Comics because TJ's making some great things here. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. If you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Mitchipedia GEM. GEM stands for Geek Elite Media. The rest of Geek Elite Media is at Geek Elite Media on Twitter, at Geek Elite Media on Instagram, and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Media is our Facebook page. Check out archived episodes of, po- of this podcast and other podcasts on our network on our website, geekleetmedia.com. But until next time, this is Hey Mitch on the Geek Elite Media Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. This concludes our broadcast. Beep.